Welcome to the Growth Cap Podcast, where we chat with CEOs, investors, and other key industry leaders to uncover insights and strategies for accelerating growth and succeeding in business. I'm your host, RJ Lumba, Managing Partner of Growth Cap. In this episode, we chat with Richard Stockton, CEO and President of Braemar Hotels and Resorts, a publicly traded REIT that invests primarily in full-service luxury hotels and resorts including the Park Hyatt Beaver Creek and Ritz-Carlton St. Thomas, among many other well-known properties. We discuss what Richard looks for in a good investment, as well as his outlook for what lies ahead. We hope you enjoy the show. So Richard, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. Delighted to, to chat with you. As mentioned, we like to have on as guests leaders of businesses that we're big fans of. And what sparked this is that, you know, my family and I have gone to your Beaver Creek property and have really enjoyed our stays there. We're big fans of the property. And so I uh, thought it would be great to, to chat with you. So again, you know, appreciate you taking the time here. Uh, maybe what we could do to kick off is just, um, you know, a little bit of background. I know you, you joined uh, the company uh, a few years ago uh, as CEO. Maybe if you could share with um, our audience uh, a little bit of your background. Sure. First, RJ, thanks for having me on today. Uh, delighted to speak with you. Braemar is a company that's focused on luxury hotel investment. And you know, that's really been my passion for many years from when I started as a kind of a young lad working in a, in a restaurant. I got very interested in the hospitality business and starting as really a dishwasher to make some extra money in high school, I developed a passion for cooking and became a cook in a restaurant, which ultimately led me to the Cornell Hotel School. You know, while at Cornell, I then found an interest in uh, numbers and finance and real estate and real estate development. So while I had some initial experience in management, I pivoted very quickly to the more financially analytical side of the business. And I continued to develop that through career experiences at uh, Pricewaterhouse and Morgan Stanley. Uh, I did follow up with an MBA uh, to study more about real estate and finance. And you know, having the opportunity to join uh, Braemar Hotels two years ago was really the capstone you know, to that career progression. And it was an opportunity to focus on purely hotels, whereas I had worked a bit with hotels, but with all other types of real estate previously in my career, and you know, apply what I had learned along the way. And in a role that you know, allowed me to really uh, impact the strategic vision of the company and take it in, into a direction that I felt uh, would benefit shareholders. So I started two years ago. It was uh, a little over two years ago, I guess now. And within three months, it rolled out a refined strategy for the company. The company was spun off from another company a couple of years prior, but uh, hadn't really found its way in terms of strategy. It was maybe a little bit too small for the sector. It had a strategy that was, I would say, at that time, overlapping with some other companies, but in a smaller format. And I really wanted to differentiate the company from its peers. 
And the way to do that uh, was ultimately to define a strategy around investing in the luxury hotel and resort segment. There was a little bit of a void uh, amongst lodging REITs at that time. And, and the lodging REIT sector is about uh, 20 REITs focused on owning hotels. Uh, but there was none that was purely focused on luxury. And upon looking at the portfolio, I concluded that there could be some changes that I could implement over the period of a couple of years to make a strong push into that uh, segment. And based on the research I had done, the luxury hotel segment had proven itself to be the fastest growing uh, hotel segment of all the chain scales. So the luxury segment has grown 4% per year in terms of RevPAR growth for the last 30 years. That's about as far back as we have data versus the other segments, upper upscale, upscale, midscale, et cetera, which on average is going about 3%. So it was an opportunity to move into this higher growth segment with a defined strategy, which would differentiate us and give investors really a reason to own the company. And in order to do that, I just had to make a few changes to the portfolio, which I've since implemented over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. And, and was the, um, and, and forgive me, I, I'm not sure if I have my timing correct, but was the, uh, the Beaver Creek property in the portfolio at the time or was that a new acquisition? That was a new acquisition. So uh, very quickly, beginning in 2017, we were able to identify two new acquisitions. Uh, was the Park High at Beaver Creek, which we closed on in March of 2017, and the Hotel Yonville, which is a hotel that we own in Napa Valley in Yonville, down the street from another one of our properties, which is called the Bar de Sono. Yonville is the culinary capital of Napa Valley, so it's home to a number of Michelin-starred restaurants, and uh, as a result, it's a very high-rate market. So those were the first two acquisitions. We also at the time of the strategy refinement, identified four hotels that would be uh, deemed non-core and undertook an analysis to determine if we should sell them or somehow reposition them. Where we came out was that we would ultimately sell two and reposition two to be upgraded and upbranded. Subsequent to that, we, we acquired two other luxury hotels, and this is now within the past year. Uh, we bought the Ritz-Carlton in Sarasota which includes a beach club on Lido Key, as well as a Tom Fazio golf course. And we also acquired the Ritz-Carlton Lake Tahoe, which is a mid-mountain at North Star Resort, and it's the only luxury hotel in the Lake Tahoe market. Mm-hmm. Right, those are both great uh, properties, and congrats on those uh, recent deals. And, and, and so, you know, I guess as you're evaluating, you know, and, and looking at your portfolio, which is, you know, spread across the U.S., it looks like you you have kind of a really refined method of of picking you know the assets you're you're going to pursue. You know, is this uh, like most I guess investors? There's a fair amount of you know valuation of of, of the numbers that make the investment work. But are, what are you know what are some of the other characteristics that you look for when identifying a, a target? Yeah. So. We have a, uh, a systematic way of evaluating target markets where we start, right? And that determines where should we be spending our time and resource in attempting to uncover opportunities. Some of them 
we're able to generate through off-market discussions with other owners. And some of them come through our, the broker network, which we you know, spend a lot of time cultivating. And as we look at a market, we look first at you know the depth of that market. Does it have enough hotel room, luxury hotel rooms for us to be interested? But then we also look at the fundamentals. So what is the outlook for supply and demand, which translates into RevPAR growth? What is the outlook for uh, employment generally? Is this a market that is union or non-union, you know, which we'll have to factor into you know, our margins ultimately? And then lastly, it's you know, what is the, the prevailing pricing that's available in that market? You know, do sellers have what we would consider reasonable expectations? And you know, you'll tend to find that, that some markets, by virtue of their you know, long-term characteristics, and I'm thinking here of maybe something like a New York or even Miami, it's difficult to acquire because pricing expectations are so high. So you mentioned numbers, numbers, of, of course, you know, drive the ultimate decision. And we're pretty disciplined, I'd say, about really two things. One is when we acquire a property, we want to acquire a track record of generating income. There's got to be income in place that generates an attractive initial yield. And the last four luxury hotel acquisitions we've made had at least a 6% unlevered initial yield, which you know, gives us comfort that you know, this is a, a, an acquisition that will immediately start contributing to our cash flow that we use to pay our dividends. But then secondly, we look at the longer term prospects of an investment. And again, the last four acquisitions have had a minimum of a 10% unlevered IRR. And that's based on not only what we think the market will do, but what we think we can bring to the property in terms of asset management initiatives of you know, kind of managing the manager. And half of our properties are, are managed by Marriott. So we have a fantastic relationship with them and work closely with them on, on margin enhancement. But also what other asset, asset management uh, value-added initiatives we can bring to the table, whether it's figuring out where we can maybe add some guest rooms, where we can expand some meeting space, where we can you know, bring in a new restaurant concept, a new bar, et cetera. And uh, we'll spend a lot of time prior to acquisition thinking about that too. Uh, so that's a little bit of the formula. And, and in terms of strategic criteria, uh, this is you know, perhaps implied, but it's got to be a luxury hotel. And there's a defined set of brands that, that fit that description. Of course, many independent hotels also fit that description. And it's got to have a suitably high rev par that allows us to maintain that position that we currently occupy of having the highest quality hotel portfolio in the, in the publicly traded sector. And so our, our rev part today is over $220. So generally the acquisitions that we're looking at will have a $200 or more rev par. So uh, it, it would at a minimum not dilute our rev par, but in many cases we're seeing, we're, we're looking to, to accrete it and create even more distance between us and everybody else in terms of portfolio quality. Mm -hmm. And how's the uh, St. Thomas property coming along? I, I, I believe you're under renovation there and, and slated to, you know, reopen later this year. Is, is that, how's that, you know, process been? And, and uh, yeah, what, what can you share about that? Uh, you sure. know, given that, you know, you kind of took a little bit of a, a hit from the storm. That's right. In, in the fall of 2017, Hurricane Irma swept through uh, the Virgin Islands and um, you know, very tragically impacted St. Thomas uh, considerably. 
and uh, we were at that point viewed as really a safe haven. We we kept the hotel open to enable people from the local community to find shelter. And uh, when the the storm cleared and and the clouds broke, uh, we found that there was significant damage to the hotel, including uh, many parts of the roof structure uh, coming up and allowing water to leak in. That resulted in almost a complete loss in terms of hotel guest rooms from water damage and mold. Over the past, I guess, two years now, maybe a little over, it's more like a little over a year, uh, we've been uh, engaged in rehabilitating the property. The roof is complete. Uh, Many of the guest rooms have already been redesigned and rebuilt. Uh, We're introducing new restaurants and we're taking the opportunity to add additional amenities. We're adding a another uh, family pool with a slide and a grotto and dancing fountains and this sort of thing. And uh, I think we're going to emerge from the the renovation in October of this year with a dramatically improved hotel product uh, that um, should be, or should maintain, I guess I'd say its position as, you know, the nicest hotel in the Virgin islands. And, um, and we've had a, a fantastic experience with our insurance carriers I think one of the things that people misunderstand about the insurance process is they they only hear really, I guess, about the bad news stories, and they therefore assume that uh, when something like this happens and you start to work with an insurance carrier, you end up in litigation. That's not been our experience at all. We've worked uh, very collaboratively with our carriers. We had uh, business interruption recovery proceeds coming in uh, 30 days after the event. Uh, which is uh, you know, dramatically shortened time, but uh, was important to us because we are a public company. We do have to report quarterly earnings, and you know, we didn't want investors to uh, you know, really worry about that income stream. And so uh, we work very effectively with our insurance carriers. That, that great work continues today, and you know, they're, they're providing us with the uh, direct loss recovery as well as business, business interruption through the process. So we'll emerge with a fully renovated hotel reopened uh, without having experienced the downtime that you would normally experience from a renovation. So from a financial perspective for investors, it's, it's going to be great. From a guest perspective, they'll probably miss one vacation while the renovation is ongoing, but then they'll be back online in time for the holidays this year. And we hope that they'll be uh, coming in droves because it's going to really be a, you know, great, a great guest experience. That's fantastic, and and you mentioned that uh, you know you know when the storm was occurring, you, you kept uh, the property open to help out local residents. Um, and, and we we noticed on you know your website that you um, your company supports a lot of charities. Is is that is that something that's important to to you and the team? Uh, absolutely, you know our, our philanthropy program is uh, both deep and broad. We provide. You know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to various charities uh, over the course of the year, uh, many of which are focused on education and focused on uh, children, in some cases disabled children. Uh, we support organizations such as the YMCA. We also support educational uh, systems of, of higher learning. So we, we contribute to many you know, college programs as well. So that's something that is uh, ingrained in our culture something I believe that our, uh, our shareholders and other stakeholders uh, support. And, you know, in addition to the financial contribution, we do have a program 
that's mandatory for our employees to participate and dedicate between six and eight hours a year to various uh, charitable organizations. So we will run programs uh, with the Salvation Army around the holiday time uh, to to package up and distribute gifts for, for underprivileged families. Uh, we have a program with Habitat for Humanity to help build homes in the community. And so it's these types of things that you know, we think are important and um, allow our associates to, to give back and, and hopefully um, you know, drive it to be a better place for everybody. And that's, uh, that, that's important to us. And uh, you mentioned earlier, uh, you know, I guess working in reverse order here, but, you, you know, at the beginning of the interview, uh, you know, you mentioned that uh, your interest in hospitality really, you know, started uh, at an early age and, and therefore you, you decided to uh, go to Cornell. You know, both my, my wife and I went there for business school and, uh you know, the hospitality program, you know, is, is thought of, of course, very, very highly. We actually took our kids up there this, this past summer to visit the, and, and stayed at the, uh, uh, the Statler and uh, just to, to show them a bit around the, the university. But we'd we'll, we'll love to, you know, I did this more on a personal front, but we'd we'll love to hear about your, how the um, school kind of helped you and, and kind of, you know, what was good about, kind of the hotel program. Um, I've known a lot of very accomplished people to graduate from that program. Yeah, no, I, look, I, I can't say enough great things about Cornell. Uh, you were there. You you got to experience it as well. I, you know, my experience as an undergraduate was, yeah, I think, especially impactful because, you know, the Cornell campus and, and Cornell community is uh, is very kind of insular, but it's insular, I think, in a good way. It's isolated from the distractions that you might find if you're at a university that's based in a city, say. And you know, I think you know, having that inward focus really allows you to um, not only concentrate on your academics, but think about you know, what you want to do with your life and, and how you want to get there. Um, you know, I locked on to the hotel industry probably a little bit earlier than most as my goal. Uh, I didn't know exactly how it, I would apply it. I thought initially maybe I would I would go the way of management and become a general manager at a hotel, and I, I did have a, an interest in resort properties at the time. But then, as I you know learned and you know I think grew as a person, I realized that maybe that wasn't the right thing for me, and and instead I wanted to be much more into the you know finance and, and analytical side of things. So. You know, many of the people that go to the hotel school will will focus on, you know, different silos, if you will. You know, there's management, there's marketing, there's food and beverage, there's information technology, there's real estate, there's finance, there's accounting. So I chose, you know, real estate and finance, and and that was, uh, that became my passion. And so all of my uh, extracurriculars and things were, were focused on that. I uh, did internships that focused on uh, hotel valuation, uh, and then ultimately you know, went to work for an accounting firm in, in real estate consulting. And so then I was able to broaden out that, that hotel focus to real estate more broadly, but always having a foot in the hotel industry because I, I was passionate about it and I did enjoy, and I did enjoy it. So uh, that's, that's what kind of got me here today. So this is really in my current role, you know, the culmination of, of many years of preparation, but also something that 
you know, I've wanted to achieve, you know, since I was at Cornell. So this is, uh, it's been a great experience for me. Got it. And, and you spent, uh, what, was it 15 years at Morgan Stanley? Yeah, it was a little over 15 years. And, and, you know, working for Morgan Stanley gave me uh, a life experience that I don't know how, uh, someone can replicate. I, I was, uh, three years in New York City. I spent 10 years in London. Being based in London, I had responsibility for the Europe, Middle East, and Africa, and was able to travel throughout Europe and the Middle East uh, very extensively. And then I was asked to, to move to Asia and was based in Singapore with an office in Hong Kong where I was responsible for the Asia real estate business. And again, while based in Singapore and Hong Kong, I had the opportunity to travel to every other Asian country to uh, you know, learn about you know, the business there and meet the people there and understand the culture. And, and it was all um, really an um, amazing experience. So I left Morgan Stanley at the end of 2012 to work for one of my Singaporean clients, which took me, believe it or not, back to the U.S. And I was running their uh, U.S. business. Uh, which is, you know, again, focused on real estate and hotels. And in that case, we, we acquired a property in downtown LA, which is the U.S. Bank Tower, and did a major repositioning of that property. But no, I, I cherish my time at Morgan Stanley. I, I maintain uh, very close relationships with the Morgan Stanley alumni, and we all get together every year and, and share war stories and, and catch up. So, yeah, that was an important part of my personal development. So, so what's next for Braemar? I mean, uh, are you, um, do you have kind of ambitious plans to you know, dramatically scale the business? You know, how's the, you know, what, what does your go forward strategy look like? Yeah, I'm, I'm always looking for ways to dramatically scale the business. You know, the, the challenge to do that, and, and you've, you've hit on precisely the, the right, objective looking forward. The challenge to do that is, is how to do it accretively to existing shareholders. So what is more likely is the slow grind. It's you know, how do we continue to slowly grow the business over time, uh, following a consistent strategy, doing what we say we're going to do, delivering on the goals that we've established for ourselves. We've just achieved uh, about a $500 million equity market capitalization we have $1.6 billion in assets. $500 million is an important threshold in the public equity markets. Uh, the next important threshold is probably a billion dollars. So I think in order to achieve the right level of liquidity for shareholders, we're very focused on that and figuring out how to, how to do that. You know, part of that is just is going to come from achieving a better multiple on our current shares outstanding. Uh, which is really able to be achieved by delivering results. And as we look out just for 2019, we've got a number of significant projects that should significantly enhance our cash flow starting in this year, but also next year, including uh, the Ritz-Carlton St. Thomas coming back online. But also we've got two assets that are currently deemed non-core that are being converted to, from a courtyard to an autograph this year, uh, one's in Philadelphia and one's in San Francisco. We think that will increase rev par at those hotels in the case of Philadelphia by $25 in the case of San Francisco by, by $50. And that translates into pretty significant EBITDA growth. So as I think investors see those results starting to come through this year and next, that should 
result in a re-rating of our stock. And then, you know, we'll see if it's, if it's possible uh, to issue some equity accretively in order to acquire more properties and grow the portfolio. You know, right now we have 13 hotels. Uh, that provides a decent amount of diversification, I'd say. No hotel represents more than 12% of our EBITDA contribution. Uh, but that said, you know, there's always additional diversification that we can achieve. And, you know, more importantly, uh, greater volume of trading and, and float, which is important to, to equity investors. So that's what we're focused on this year. You know, this year we'll probably be a little bit less active on the acquisitions front. We've acquired $250 million per year on average the last two years. This year with our various asset management initiatives, our time will be occupied doing that. Uh, and then as we look into 2020, we'll have to see where we stand uh, from an equity pricing perspective. And we'll see where the market stands and, you know, have hotel prices gotten you know even more competitive have cap, cap rates gone even lower or is it a better buying opportunity maybe than it is now and uh, that remains to be seen but that's how we'll be spending the next you know certainly 12 to 24 months got it well um you've been uh, very generous uh, with your time have, have really enjoyed this conversation uh with you so so thank you and um you know wish you uh, in the company, the best of luck uh, uh, in the near term. Again, we're you know huge fans of of the properties. I've visited several of, of them, so glad to see those properties are are in good hands. Yeah, well, thanks, RJ. I will say that we've got an incredible amount of snow at Park IP Recruit <laughs> and the Ritz Carlton Lake Tahoe. So, I would encourage yeah. you to get out there at least one more time before uh, the spring comes because the skiing is just unbelievable. Yeah, no, we we love it. We're uh, it's always a, a like it's always a conversation because my youngest daughter actually, um, my oldest daughter and I love it. We're huge fans. My youngest daughter gets a little bit of altitude sickness, but you know, nonetheless, uh, we're going to make it out there. Great. Well, please enjoy and let me know when you go. Thanks, Richard. All right. Thank you.